Well, hi, and welcome to another episode on NetSport Radio. I'm Al Kingsley, and I'm really pleased today to have a guest on the show talking about a topic that is close to many of our hearts. Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks very much, Al. Thanks for asking me. Um, I always like to do a bit of an introduction and bio. I've had to abridge yours slightly, given all the different things that we could be covering. Um, but the key bits are, obviously, as it shows on the screen now, and if you're on the video channel, and if you're listening... Paul, you're CEO of the Learning Foundation and Digital Poverty Alliance. Worked in the charity and NGO sector for, for just 35 years. So just getting started. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and the last, the last 20 years, closer focus on education, from setting up British Council for School Environments, for leading a British education NGO in Vietnam for seven years. That, that was a great experience. That was a great, not least because with education, sometimes it's very difficult to see the the kind of return on investment, if you like, of time and energy, because uh, quite quite lengthy. But uh, so the time in Vietnam was wonderful, where you can you know, a child not in school and you could find the money. I could come and beg you out for for a hundred dollars a year, and uh, you 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 could see that child go to school, and then you could see them grow up. So it was a very enriching, rewarding experience, I have to say. I can imagine. I mean, obviously, you've got a huge breadth there of experiences, which is which is great to pull together. Um, one of the, the topics that's resonated probably more than ever the last couple of years and, and why we're having this chat, Paul, is about digital poverty and aspirations to level the playing field. And obviously that's at the heart of the Digital Poverty Alliance. For those listening who are perhaps new to the journey or perhaps want to get more of that definitive perspective, in terms of digital poverty, you know, how can you best describe it? What would you say the term really represents? Yeah, that's a great question to start with. And and also just to say my, my perspective is not as an educationist. I've, you said about me being involved in education off and on over the last 20 years, and that, that's absolutely true. But within the NGO sector, it's very much for me about, you know, that, that old adage about, you know, education is the way out of poverty. I, I absolutely believe that. And, uh, and, and so... I see my role very much about enabling other people to do that for, for different groups or whatever. And the same is absolutely true about uh, the digital poverty side. Um, I'm, I don't, I'm, I, I, I'm not clever around the whole piece around what piece of software might have what impact on what age group in what class. But what I can say is that I know enough about that to, to, to uh, be able to encourage schools, for instance, to, to, to look at it. Um, and to encourage other people to get involved and and, uh, and try to pick it up as a subject area. So the, the definition of digital poverty is absolutely critical in all of this because uh, depending on how you define it depends on the, will depend the number of people you might be referring to. So to give you a really quick example, if you're talking about people whose connectivity at home might be minimal, it might be a mobile phone, they might have a device, but they're sharing it with lots of people, not, not very much data. You might be talking about one or two million households, still, still a big number. But if you might be talking about instead about people maybe having a device and some connectivity, but not having the skills to use that in a way that actually could benefit them, then you could be talking about as many as 10 or 12 million people. So for the, for the, for the, learning, for, for the digital poverty lives, we describe it as the inability to interact with the online world fully when, where and how an individual wants to. And each of those words, as you can imagine, being chosen by chosen after many many discussions and things. Thanks, Paul. And, and that's really important to, to kind of kick off the conversation. I, I think back wearing my education hat, responsible for multi academy trust, and digital poverty perhaps kind of came to the fore when we were thinking very much about the connectivity aspect, about how we were enabling our learners 
and that contention where you've got one device amongst multiple students. But that broader context of, of actually the skills to, to actually utilize the technology is the bit that sometimes I, I feel gets missed. Um, I'm also conscious that there was all, almost a discussion and narrative around digital poverty to meet a specific pandemic need that was amplified. And, and so I want to look forward in 2022 because clearly what we're talking about here is not a fix a one-time issue that's now gone away. So do you see the digital divide leveling up? Okay, great question. Great question. I, do you know, I think uh, when we started work on uh, trying to raise awareness about the, the, the scale and urgency of the problem, which was actually back in 2017, very few people really got it. They could see their potential for an issue, but there was very little research around to... To, to say much more about that. And then the pandemic hit and everybody suddenly understood that just how important it was uh, and also the number of school children that were disconnected and things. So I think a natural part of that has been some levelling up already, of course. If you said to me two years ago when we formally launched the Digital Access for All, or three years ago now, then then um, I would have said, oh, if, if one, one, one and a half million children were to receive a device from, from the DfE, I wouldn't have said it would have been all the answer, but I would have said that would be a fantastic step forward. And of course, in 2021, uh, 2020, 2021, they've done just that. The issue about that, though, is that that's a, just a start. You know, we do see it as a very complicated jigsaw puzzle. And you know, as I say, if you've got a device, that's great. But if you haven't got the connectivity or the skills to use it, then that's only part of the solution. But so I do see that. But what I'm finding at the moment, I don't know whether you found this too, Al, but is that schools have gone back. COVID is still an issue, whether it's, you know, staff members not being able to attend school or, or kids being off. I got a letter this, uh, last night from my kids' school saying they've got another three cases of COVID there. And that means they've got so many other things to contend with and the new Ofsted rules and everything else coming in too, which means that much as they might want to, take the opportunity that uh, the COVID uh, has brought around, particularly around technology, and begin to affect change. The reality is finding the time, finding the money, finding all of these things is just too tough. So there won't be as much living up as I'd like to see. I think that's um, a, a really um, key observation because I, I think when we talk more broadly about the effective role of digital technology in education, one of the concerns is having had this period of uh, the narrative being amplified, there's a natural persuasion with so many other pressures on the table in education, Paul, that people will slip back to the way we did things before. And of course, one of the challenges that, which is why I think it's really interesting having this opportunity to chat with you is, on one hand, we're encouraging schools to embrace where technologies work well mm -hmm. and to weave that into the future delivery of education. But that potentially has the risk of broadening the divide if we don't also at the same time have that long-term plan for connectivity, accessibility of devices and the skills mandate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, do you know, I, I, when I talked about the jigsaw, um, we do think that most of the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle are, are there or thereabouts. One of the one of the things that's happened the last couple of years, it's been a very tactical response, hasn't it? People have been sort of throwing devices at people and seeing what works and, you know, and then maybe adapting that. And it's lots of people with big hearts in their local communities or, or national stuff. But the reality has been it's often just one part of the jigsaw puzzle. So as you say, when we talk to schools about... Uh, we. The Learning Foundation that I'm Chief Executive of has a much different approach to uh, what we do with the school is to sit down with them and look at the use of technology from a strategic perspective. What 
what, what, what problems do you want to solve and which, you know, which ones are, are tech a, able to help you to solve? And what we then do is engage parents, the senior leadership team, the teachers are then uh, they often given a device early on so that they can get to test their skills and, and, and boost their skills and things. And then the very final bit of that, that maybe as much as six months or a year down the line, the child will get a device. But at that point, it's an integral part of the way that uh, the, the learning is being delivered. Um, and the, the school will have done what it needs to do to ensure that child has the same potential to engage at home as they go to school as, uh, across the piece. That is very different, I agree, from, from what's currently happening, where the DfE might be handing out 100, 200 devices to schools and then sort a modicum of connectivity for those who are isolating, that kind of thing. But that is far from an integrated solution. And so I, I worry a bit, actually, that the DfE um, uh, investment today is not going to translate into the change, sort of changes in, in education we want to see for these young people. No, I, I would embrace that. And I think we always have to think in, in education. We often think in terms of critical life cycles, election life cycles. Um, and one of the challenges is with all this great new technology in our schools, in four years' time when it's due for refresh because the devices are worn, broken, need, a need of repair, have we got a plan to replace it? Or are we actually going to enable learners with this technology now and then take it all away again when the funding's not there to continue it? So. There are certainly plenty of issues on the table, yeah. which brings me rather nicely, given we've set the scene, for want of a better term, Paul. Tell us about the Digital Poverty Alliance and your plans for 2022. How does it yeah. fit into that problem? Very well. If I could just double the number of working hours and stuff, I think you're probably you're the same, then, then the job done. But uh, well, we are going to be doing a bit of that, actually. We're, the first year, 2021, was very much about setting up. We got this uh, tremendous support from, from Curry's at the beginning of the year and, and also the Institution of Engineering and Technology, which is a kind of very 150-year-old now organisation that has, so brings a great deal of weight and, and power and things with it. So that was essential for us. But that was that was like a – it was actually effectively Christmas. It was like Christmas present. Somebody ringing you up and saying, we can help make all your dreams come true. Wow. And so you have to respond to that. And so a lot of last year was about setting up. A lot of it was about uh, finding the right people to help us to, and understanding what the structure was and bringing that together. We've now done that. We've got the numbers of boards. We've got a fantastic delivery board, which is co-chaired by Jim Knight, Lord Knight, who people know, just such a, such a fantastic chap. Uh, and by Ruby McGregor-Smith, again, who's got a fantastic track record and has been, been really good. Uh, we have a, what's called a community board. And there are 25 partners on that. And the, the thinking behind that, by the way, Al, because this is also important around education, is that the same young people that DfE are interested in, effectively those people who are from families that are struggling financially, are actually pretty much exactly the same people that NHS is interested in, are pretty much the same people that the British Retail Consortium would be interested in because they are employees. They are whatever, you know. And so there are numbers of organisations who are looking at how to enable these people to either access their services or their or their products or whatever it might be. So what we did was to bring them all together. So we have social housing there, we have UK finance, we have uh, specialist providers, we also have observers, and they always call themselves observers from, from DFE, DWP of course really important, and from DCMS. Um, and uh, they come together at the moment once every couple of months and they spend time looking at how, what they're doing, where the, where the blocks are, where the struggles are. And so for me, Al, the, the 2022 is going to be about, uh, we will be publishing our UK evidence review. 
first of all, a look across everything that exists already so that people can come to one place and find the information they want. And then really importantly, we'll be delivering what's called a national delivery plan. And for me, that means everything because I'm, I, I get the big picture. That's important and things, but I see real people every day. And, uh, you know, so I see this as some kind of urgency. And finally, Al, just wanted to mention, of course, our ambassador group, which, of which you're a member, and thank you so much for that. But that, that's been really important. People who are passionate about education and learning and about the use of technology in, in helping to deliver that. And uh, so there's 45 of you, I think, at the moment across the country who are helping to spread the word. And, uh, you know, couldn't thank you enough for that. Thank you. No, not at all. And I think it's um, one of the things that's really clear from, from all you've really shared there is about <clears throat> taking those separate silos and bringing it to a common place. And I think that's, like you say, the, the overlap, if we were to do a Venn diagram, it, it's so obvious that taking that opportunity to bring it together, you have to hope can only help accelerate the, the pathway to actually Absolutely. making a difference, making an impact. Especially when you've got, you know, NHS who are kind of quite a big, big machine and they've got, you know, they, they might be able to bring resource and time and effort to play, but other organisations that equally want to be engaged in this space but don't have that. So they might be able to sort of piggyback off the each other the reality is that the problem by the way you you asked earlier on was the problem doesn't go away on its own the research that we've done would indicate that uh, that if it's not done it doesn't take care of itself you won't naturally get a tv and the issue is not about the device because there's plenty of them around the device the, the issues around connectivity and, and that is that that's a that's a cost isn't it and it's not cost just a once a month it's a cost forever uh, unless you want to as we've heard stories about school children sitting outside mcdonald's or Costa Coffee or somewhere just because that's the only place where they can get get connectivity. Absolutely. And, and it's also about simplifying some of this narrative to the nuts and bolts of it. Um, yes. I'm, I'm very fortunate I have a role in my region in the east of England chairing our employment and skills board. And we talk about how we're creating jobs opportunity and skills for the future. And frankly, that's all a mute point if we don't give our future workforce the, the ability and the skills to actually access those job opportunities and the training and the resources, many of which are being provided and funded centrally by the government. But if they're not accessible, to what end? So I think this is yeah. such such a critical conversation right now. Yeah, no, thank you. I think that's it. I, even though I'm very much on this kind of individual school child and and um, and. Uh, parents and families level, much as you would be within your role at Monty Academy Trust, you also do have this big picture. And it, it seems so obvious to me that if we want to be a nation that's digitally enabled, if we are everything going online, we have really good meetings at the moment now with organisations like Government Digital Services, and I'm really pleased, Al, but the people like Cabinet Office or organisations like Cabinet Office are now interested, because it is that. It's not just about individuals having the ability to do what everybody else can, you know, whether that's watching movies, for instance, you know, which I, I absolutely agree with, as much as it is about learning about who you are and everything else. It is about being being a productive, able staff employee as you progress into work. And uh, you know now that the opportunities for work often now require uh, technical skills, which, which, you know, lots of young people don't have, as you say. Absolutely. It's always about equal opportunities for everybody. Now, now the, last, the last question I have on my list for you, which, which is probably quite a big question because there's quite a few different pathways there. Yeah. You know, it's all about with this work and effort and the visibility and bringing those voices together, what can schools, government, edtech providers, companies, what can others do to help? Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, yeah, it's a big question, and you know, I, I am I'm not I have to say if I'm if I'm talking on behalf of Digital Poverty Alliance in a, in a, in a place where I can say this is what you need to do. That's absolutely where we want to get to. Uh, we are in what we call a sort of listening mode at the moment. The UK evidence review will have numbers of recommendations in it, and we will translate those into actions. But but it, it, as an overall answer to, to to that question, what we would say is we see very much the engagement with with digital happening at a very local community level so i could see uh, so for instance an example we talked to one of the big uh, health trusts there uh, just a week or so ago they're very clear that as patients come into the hospital services that if they could say to them do you know you could have access to this service online uh, and by the way, this is where you can get a tablet and this is where you can get some skills and we'll help to do that because Birmingham City Council are now committed. You know, that, kind of, that, that all of that kind of input is going to build because for, for many people, it's not just a matter of cost. Cost is certainly absolutely critical. And so there are things that government could do. You know, we talk about, for instance, you know, um, stopping VAT, but, but equally organisations like Curry's and others are talking about the idea of people being able to trade in their laptop, their old laptop, and that laptop then being refurbished and, and, and pushed back out to society. Um, uh, but the but the uh, but but the problem is not going to go away. And as I say to DFE two, for instance, that that even if every single young person had a device right now, and you know well that they don't, then the reality is that what happens next September in, when another six or seven hundred thousand young people arrive at private school. So everybody's got a part to play. What we're hoping to do is to be able to provide a kind of uh, a route map, I think is one of the very route map for that, which will talk about things like language. Motivation is a big issue for people, you know, it's not really for me, you know, and that's often because the language, it tends to be around digital and all this kind of stuff rather than about what digital can do. So we, we, there are numbers of aspects to this, behavioral science and things, and we, we're aiming to bring that all together uh, and uh, in, in a way that people can take what it take from it whatever they you know suits their purposes best really absolutely that's really really helpful and again hopefully we've got people listening and and, and they're interested in continuing the narrative and at the appropriate yeah. time joining the conversation Super. where can people find out more paul in terms of um connecting with the digital property alliance well please say we have a we have a, a website with uh, as which is www.digitalpovertyalliance.org uh, that is uh, also connecting with a, a platform that we've just uh, building and uh, actually is kind of available now. And there is uh, loads of things on there. There are not just groups you can join. If you're a teacher, for instance, you might join one of the groups that's about teaching where you will be amongst similar teachers who can share ideas about what's worked for them, what where their struggles might be. Um, and, uh, and, and so and they could, you can join, you can get a, a copy of a, a newsletter once a month or once a quarter, like, or, or take it further. And if that, if you want to take it further, as you did, Al, then then we'd be delighted to hear from you. And uh, and the thing will be for us is to try to find the best best way of using the skills and talent that people are currently offering us. Fantastic. Listen, I really appreciate you taking time out to share. I know you're a busy That's man, right. spreading right. the word on all channels. So, so thank you for joining no, and, and, you know, and huge respect. I think it's a, a, such an important topic. We, we need thanks to keep out. Yeah. it out there. I yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. I look forward to seeing it better as well. In, in a, in a Indeed, sir. I look forward to that too. Okay, great. Thanks.